Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. But God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding, His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life, it's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious, think well, advance good. This is Q. We have unfortunately allowed power to bear God's name that looks nothing like him. True power that is in the image of God means it is used to honor him. It looks like him. It bears his stamp. It's his character in someone. So it's not the externals produced. You can have somebody with a church of five people in a corner of the earth nobody's ever heard of who has tremendous power in a godly way but who in the world's measure has nothing. And it's the likeness to him that is the most power. And it is the likeness to him that got ruined in the garden. Thanks again for joining us for Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on Faith Radio. I'm Paul Perot with Gabe. Power. There's a lot of talk about it and the abuse of it. There are some worldviews that try to see everything through power structures. And while it's a mistake to view everything through that kind of lens, in our human fallenness, power can be and often is abused and people do get hurt. As much as we like to think this problem is outside the church, if we've seen anything over the last several years, power within churches, ministries, and Christian organizations has been abused. People have been hurt, and ministries have been destroyed or severely crippled, and Christ's name has been dragged through the mud. Actually, the truth is that abuse of power has been an issue in church and ministry settings for many, many, many years. And Gabe, today we're talking with someone who has for many years been a voice fighting for an end of abuse of power both inside and outside the church. Tell us about this week's guest. Today we're interviewing Diane Langberg. She is the author of Redeeming Power, Understanding Authority and Abuse in the Church. It's a deep topic, an important topic, a subject that we talked about this past year's Culture Summit with Rachel Denhollander. And we want to press into that today by interviewing Diane about this book, about the subject of power, how power is misused, not just in the world, but how it's been misused in the church. And what are we to do about that? And I think you're going to appreciate her thoughts and her answers to some of these questions. She's a foremost expert, as you're going to see, on trauma. And over the last 50 years has studied that and what that means to us individually, to our psyche, to how we operate within systems, within cultures, within the things that we're called to lead to better understand how this power and this abuse of power is showing up. But most importantly, how do we redeem it? What are we to do about power and authority? What is the right ways in which we live a redemptive leadership role? Um, where God rightly shows us how power and authority should show up in the world, and how do we demonstrate that today? So let's listen in now to my conversation with Diane Lingberg. Well, Diane, welcome to the Q Ideas podcast. It's great to have you. Thank you, Gabe. It's good to be here. I know it's been almost a decade, not quite, since you delivered a wonderful talk at our Q Ideas event in Washington, D.C. that people still talk about dealing with trauma and helping this community of leaders really understand that word. And it was a word that I would say 10 years ago was not being used as much as it's become 
very much a part of the vernacular today as people think through psychology, mental health, processing their stories. Um, What was it for you that ultimately brought you into this place where trauma and healing became so central to your life mission? Well, I started out with a master's degree in 1972 (laughs) and was working on my doctorate. And uh, there were not very many females in the field. And so a lot of women would ask to speak with me once I started doing some counseling. I was also working with Vietnam vets at that time. And um, at some point realized that the women and the Vietnam vets had the same symptoms and concluded that there was more than one war zone in, uh, in the world. And the women were telling me things which were about rape and sexual abuse and domestic violence, terms that were not used. And I was told that they were hysterical and I shouldn't believe them. So the supervisor who told me that I quit listening to Hmm. (laughs) and told them I didn't know anything and I needed to learn from them. Post-traumatic stress disorder wasn't even a diagnostic category till 1980. So this was eight years prior to that time. Hmm. But, you know, the stories broke my heart. And I told them I didn't know anything and that they would have to teach me before I could figure out what might help them. Wow. Yeah. So, so I mean, you're 50 years into this journey. Of, I am. Of learning, of listening. And, and I think because of all of that, you've brought such wisdom and a depth to this conversation as it's now emerged to be such a dominant and important conversation the world is having. And, and now in your latest book, you're, you're really helping apply this to spiritual communities to the church. Your book, Redeeming Power, Understanding Authority and Abuse in the Church, takes a hard look at these spiritual communities that are created that also can lead to abuse. And, you know, for so long, people thought, well, that's not possible. That's just a rumor. That's people just trying to put down the church. But obviously, what's become clear in the last couple of decades is that this type of abuse has been rampant for a long time, right? Oh, it has. And I, I knew that, but I knew it behind closed doors and couldn't say so very much, just, you know, for ethical reasons, obviously. Mm. Yeah. So you've been watching this story kind of emerge and become more public and become something that the world is now talking about. And it began with, I, I would say, the Me Too movement obviously brought this conversation up about abuse of power and yes. how that began to to become something people were just more aware of and, and able to start to recognize. What did it feel like for you just kind of having known this was taking place and then starting to see exposure of it? Well, sadly, I was glad to see that because I know that without truth and light, there will be no change. Hmm. It breaks my heart, number one, that it happens at all. And I've been working with individuals who broke my heart for years <laughs> Having the church or Christian organizations, whatever, exposed uh, is another way to break a heart. But again, I I was glad because if we do not acknowledge the truth of the wrongdoing in our midst, often done in the name of God and certainly covered up for his name's sake, uh, we have cancer. We're dying. Yeah. And I was glad to see the cancer named. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I think... You know, for many people, religion and these spiritual communities become a place where, like you said, there's cover up of this thing happening because there's a fear it's going to hurt people's perception of God or it's going to change their faith. But as you've been in this space for so long, when the truth is exposed, what are what are the positives that come from this kind of information coming out? Because we, we know the negatives and we 
we know all the perception challenges that might come with that, but you've seen the side of healing and uh, give people vision for why it's important that we expose these things. Well, I, I would first take them back to uh, our Lord who went into the sanctuary of his day and cracked whips and turned tables over. And he said, you've made my father's house a den of robbers, which literally means a safe place for those who steal. And so we also have done the same thing with our father's house. We have made it a safe place for those who steal from the vulnerable. And when he did that, it was an invitation. Come, step into the light, see, learn, change. They did not, even though he did it twice. This is the same thing. This is God's invitation to his people who name his name, but don't act like him, to step into the light and find healing and truth and a likeness to him that's not there while this is going on. Right. And in the title of your book, you talk about redeeming power. And so many times power in this current moment can seem to just be a completely negative word. That Anybody that has power should be maybe looked at skeptically, should be looked down upon, or should be questioned, or, or we should have a skepticism towards. But you talk about the the role of power and and how it can be used for good but would you help just define that term for people that maybe need to hear like what what is your take on power what is power what is authority jesus clearly exhibited that and carried those attributes well so there's a redemptive side to it but help us maybe with that term today as it's a it's a moment where it seems to be a bit confused well i would take us first back to the beginning you know when the god of all power created us he made us in his image and sent Adam and Eve out to rule and subdue the earth. Those are power words. Uh, Not each other, (laughs) not people, but his earth. And so part of it, part of what we have to reclaim is the fact that the power that we have is God-given. Now we have to figure out how to use it in a way that truly honors him and bears his character, which we have sadly not done. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I think... When you think of it biblically, obviously, this idea of subduing, taking dominion, not over people, but over um, the resources or over the ways in which our world operates is important. It's important to calling. And we've we've seen, you know, good examples of that. But I'm curious, from your perspective, what would be healthy examples of authority today? Are there particular um, attributes that you would say are important for any leader who's listening to this? Because that's a large part of our community would be leaders, people who've been given stewardship over companies, organizations, or creating art or institutions, what are some of the attributes that a person in leadership needs to make sure are part of their life, their culture, the way in which they operate that helps safeguard them from abusing power? Well, the first thing that I would say, which is a negative thing, uh, not a positive, but that is that we need to recognize that power that is redemptive is not found in the externals. I do not have power in a godly way if I measure myself by the size of my organization, the number of people in it, the fame that I have, the this and the that. When I start measuring power in those ways and put God's name on it, which is what we've done. Mm -hmm. This person has all of these things that are successes and they work for God and so it's all good. And there's no examination of the self or the institution. Mm -hmm. And so we have unfortunately allowed power to bear God's name that looks nothing like him. 
But true power that is in the image of God means it is used to honor him. It looks like him. It bears his stamp. It's his character in someone. So it's not the externals produced. You can have somebody with a church of five people in a corner of the earth nobody's ever heard of who has tremendous power in a godly way, but who in the world's measure has nothing, absolutely nothing. Mm. And it's the likeness to him that is the most power. And it is the likeness to him that got ruined in the garden. Yeah. And you talk about cultures that can be created around these false views of of power. And I love how you're describing how much we tend to take on man's measurement of success or fruit. I mean, you, you'll hear people use that term a lot yes. in Christian communities, like the, the fruit of their work is so obvious. God clearly is working, even though there might be these character flaws or this abuse of power going on or desire to use that to build themselves up, maybe not God. Um, what do you, what, what would you say are some of the antidotes to that kind of power and, and how to, how to continue to create spaces and organizations that, that help, help a person that's been given that kind of leadership or stewardship stay accountable? Well, we have lost the art that many of the monks through history, uh, talked about, which is self-examination. Mm-hmm. Um, we've certainly lost the, I think in many ways, the humility that asks others what it's like to be around us. Jesus talked constantly about, I only do what pleases the Father. And he also made it very clear that a likeness to the Father and a good use of power bears the characteristics of that Father. It it isn't an outcome. If it's outcome, he didn't do a very good job. So many years ago, I was speaking in Brazil about trauma, and um, a young pastor came up to see me at the end with a question. And he said, I live in a very small village, and all of the men in my village are alcoholics. All of the men in my village beat their wives. All of the men, no exception, including the judges and lawyers and everything else, abuse their daughters. Please. Diane, can you tell me how to help my people? Hmm. Which I stood quiet for a while trying to figure out what in the world to say to a question like that. But what I realized then, which is what we're talking about now, and I said to him is, you love your wife. You protect your children. You know, you are not doing these things. You are the first time they have seen that. They did it. Their fathers did it. You know, their grandfathers did it, whatever. What you're doing is bringing the light of Christ into that world by the way you live with your family and other people. You incarnate what is good and true and right. That's what a good leader does. It's always incarnational. It's not external results. So it's manifesting, making real in the flesh who Jesus was and what his character was like. Mm-hmm. You, you write about in your book, in the section you have called Power Abused, you talk about power in human systems. And I know there's been much discussion over the last year about systemic injustice. And, and there's been a debate even in the church of, of how much of this is systems, how much of it is just one bad apple corrupting a system, can injustice be built into systems? And would you just describe a little bit about, as you wrote about this abuse of power in systems, uh, help people understand more what you found and what you believe to be going on in that abuse? Well, the meaning of the word system is together stand. And so part of what happens with 
systems is they are people who have come together thinking they are of like mind and like goals, and they want to have the gospel preached, and they want all kinds. They want to send missionaries, whatever. They want to do all those kinds of things. And in doing so, those goals become primary rather than character. And what happens is, so you have somebody at the top saying, I can do this for you. Listen to me, we do these things, whatever. And they need the leader to make that happen. And so they, they follow the leader no matter what kind of character he or she has. And then usually in a system, there's a, a small, somewhat small special group that works with the leader and protects him from criticism, from all of those things, holds him up, helps him achieve the goals that he has and the church now has. And what happens when somebody comes forward in a system like that is that everybody at the top works together to silence the person who will do, they think, harm to the system. And so we have to protect that system no matter the cost. And people say things like, don't you see what God is doing here? Just like you said a little bit ago. Don't you see how many people are coming to the church? Don't you see how many we're, people we're doing this and that for? Which is no measure of Christ-likeness. Right. Yeah, so as, you, as you've been in this journey, certainly walking alongside so many different survivors that have been subject to this kind of an, of an abuse, um, what have you seen the fruit be when a power, a leader who's abused power is exposed. And despite what those who were trying to protect the system wanted to happen, which was to protect it because they felt like it was going to harm the quote unquote ministry or the work that God was doing there. Once it's been exposed, what is, what is the fruit on the other side of that? How have you seen God redeem that? Well, number one for the victims it, it, it is extremely redemptive. Their voice has been heard. Their voice is been, has been seen as true. Their, their damage is seen. Uh, it gives them hope. It can often renew a lost faith in God, because when a system abandons a victim, they feel like God went with them. Mm. He's not there for them. And so it's it's very ex, uh, restorative on the quote lesser levels. Mm. Um, it, it, it's also a, a call to all Christians when something like that happens, or when we read about it in the news, or whatever. It's a call to us to examine ourselves and our systems. You know, this is not something that only happened to this huge place with this particular person, but it certainly isn't happening with us. We need to say, where are we? Where are we with these things? Where are we hiding things? First from ourselves or in our own families and then in our larger systems like the church or an organization. Um, we hide the things to preserve what we call good. So it's it's a tremendously healing thing when when churches are exposed or huge groups are exposed or even for that matter one perpetrator is exposed. Uh, truth sets people free. It's an invitation to the abuser to look at him or herself. It's an invitation to all of us to be reminded of who God is in His character and what He's called us to be like. Mm. 
you know, uh, I said that systems mean together stand. Um, the word dissident means to sit apart. And that's what Jesus was. He was a dissident. Mm. And he did it with grace and love and truth and all of those. He didn't do it with hate or screaming or anything else, mm -hmm. which is what we tend to do. <laughs> mm -hmm. But he was a dissident, and he's called his people to be dissidents when it comes to things that look nothing like Christ in the same way that he was a dissident. Mm. That's great. You know, you, you talk about in this book how the church is meant to be a sanctuary for the vulnerable, but the opposite has happened. It's become a sanctuary for the powerful. What, do you, what is your vision as you look at a healthy church, as you look at the years ahead, um, as to how we start to right this ship and, and how you can imagine the church maybe becoming back to this place where it's a sanctuary for the vulnerable versus one for the powerful? Well, I think, uh, which I think is very true to the scriptures, the first response needs to fall on our faces, Gabe. Hmm. Um, there are ways that all of us have ignored things because that's what we do. You know, we, we deceive ourselves that something's okay that's not okay. Sometimes in our own life or our own family, sometimes in larger systems. So I think we have to start there and ask God, you know, as the psalmist did, search me. Expose me to myself and then lead me into a new place. You know, um, Judas in the New Testament uh, is in many ways a very interesting character because one of the things it says in the Gospels is that Judas was a thief, but he had the bag. And I spent a good number of years trying to figure out why in the world Jesus would give him the money bag if he knew he was a thief, which he obviously did know until I realized it was an invitation to repentance. Hmm. He, in front of the Lord himself, he stole money from that bag and did it so well that none of the disciples knew. And Jesus kept letting him have the bag in hopes that he would see what he was doing and fall down on his face. Yeah, so Jesus, even in our circumstances or maybe in our communities around us, is constantly there trying to confront us or sharpen us or invite us into confession and vulnerability, right? Yes, he is. And he wants to turn the light on. He doesn't ask us to examine ourselves in as a solo. He says, do it with a duet, as a duet with him. And he's the God of all love. Yeah. Uh, Diane, just shifting into current issues and kind of where we sit today in, in a world that seems to be having experienced a lot of trauma, even many talk about this pandemic has, has created um, uh, for some a high, high degree of trauma, big trauma, but, but there's also been this low level hum of just change and drama, uh, the trauma that has come with losing a job or friendship or relationship or so many other uh, areas of agency that have maybe changed quite a bit in the last couple of years. Yes. Um, what is the opportunity that's presented when we're walking through something like this individually or communally that, that we could see the hopeful side of what God might be doing in the midst of this? Well, I think throughout the scriptures and things, when, when we see things like that, it's God calling his people both individually and collectively, again, to examine themselves and to come to him to be redemptive in their lives. 
you know, we seem in our society, certainly now, we keep talking about them, <laughs> they this, they that. We're not looking at ourselves. And we're not looking at ourselves in terms of our characters, not our gifts, not our externals, but, but our kindness, our patience, our faithfulness, our self-control. And that's, I mean, obviously that means change comes from the inside out, and it comes one by one. But one by one, it becomes a body, and a body that loves and follows Jesus Christ. But, but we have to start with ourselves, both personally, but also in terms of what we are doing, thinking, believing about leadership, hmm. and whether or not we're actually thinking the way he thinks. Yeah, that's good. That's good wisdom. And, and I'm so grateful, Diane, for your faithfulness in this subject. I know 50 years ago, it had to have felt like you were just completely alone. Nobody was caring about the issues that you were getting exposed to. And I'm sure that led to a lot of uh, dark nights and moments for you. But I'm just praising God for your faithfulness to continue to press into this, um, to allow us to have this just wealth of wisdom over many, many years that you've collected that help all of us move forward with um, the right understanding of what God might be trying to do in this moment. So thank you so much. You're welcome. This again is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, and that was Gabe's conversation with counselor Diane Langberg, author of Redeeming Power, Understanding Authority and Abuse in the Church. And yes, while a hard topic, I do hope you benefited from this discussion. Now, originally, this conversation you just heard was part of one of the monthly Q Ideas book tours, where Gabe encourages you to join him in reading a book that is important to some of the discussions of the day. But not only that, there's these conversations, like the one you just heard with the author. There's also a separate Q&A session where you can be a part virtually. Learn more about the monthly Q Ideas book tour by visiting qideas.org slash book tour. And since we're into 2022, don't forget in April, the 2022 Culture Summit coming up. Tickets are going fast, so to reserve your spot or a table for your team, visit qideas.org slash cs2022. We're out of time. I'm Paul Perot. Thanks for listening to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, and we hope you listen again next week. This show is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.